Hi, my name is Mark. I've been working professionally as a web developer since 2009. I got started by making tiny HTML snippets for pay-per-click ads, and my responsibilities have grown tremendously since then. I've got my gripes about this profession, rest assured. I've had my headaches from working with prototype and scriptaculous, mucked with no conflicting that alongside jQuery, been weary about what's really inside of NPM packages, and I've been through my fair share of browser wars too. I remember when things were perfect at 960 wide, only to have this thing called responsive web design take foot. Then came progressive web apps and a gnarly series of point flips on if I should use React, Vue, or Angular. That said, the evolution continues and my enthusiasm remains. I'm doing what I can one keystroke at a time, and I'm good with that. Recording out of North County, San Diego, I'm here to help put my city's digital savants on the forefront, talk tech, and find the proper moments of rest before burnout becomes a reality. So sit back and enjoy these next few minutes, and welcome to All Web SD. Hey everyone, and welcome back to All Web SD. I'm excited because this one really hits home, and I'm meeting the CEO of the San Diego Children's Museum, Children's Discovery Museum, please correct me uh, where I'm wrong, um, and I'm here today joined by the CEO, Krishna Kabra. Uh, did I pronounce that correctly? Yes, you did. Nice Excellent. to meet you, Bob. Thank you for um, inviting me onto your podcast. Thank you very much. And just letting you know, she has the full disclosure, everyone. This is definitely for the San Diego Tech Hub community and anyone inside or outside of the San Diego County lines that are enthusiastic about museums, science, math, education, fun, robotics, little things like that. I'm splish splashing all of these words everywhere, but it's with reason because this hidden gem needs to be put in the forefront. I personally have a story with uh, SDCDM, and I've been a member for quite a few years now, including through the pandemic, even though it was everything was on pause, um, because I knew one day I would get back into it with my family. And really, I wanted to bridge the gap here for anyone here that has no context or knowledge on this museum, that I feel that it's a hidden gem in Escondido, so North County, San Diego, for anyone out there. Um, and yeah, you know what? I, I, I ramble on too much. Krishna, how are you? I am absolutely great. I mean, given the state of the current climate in that context, doing great. You know, I'm just happy that we're reopened again, that we get to see our children on site again. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're just, just very grateful for that opportunity and grateful to be here today. Thank you very much. And thank you for being here. So the San Diego Children's Discovery Museum, for those of you that have yet to Google what I just said, let me tell you what that experience is like for me. It's a hidden gem in Escondido. It's a very, I like to think of it as a children's speakeasy, if you will. Um, a lot of, a lot of exhibits, little interactions, if you will, a great place to have a birthday party for your young ones, a great place to just kill time if you need to as a parent. Let's be honest. I, I do that as like my plan Z sometimes when I'm just exhausted and I want my child to interact. Um, but I really wanted to get like historical context, who, what, where, when, and why about the museum. Um, how long has the museum been around? If you could tell me. Yeah, so, you know, we are, golly, we, the museum opened its doors in 1999, if you can believe that, um, wow. uh, quite, uh, quite a long time ago. So we are 21 years old, 
Uh, we had our 20th birthday last year. Mm-hmm. Um, we also um, have moved different locations. So we started our storefront and in uh, Escondido, moved to the center of the arts, and then we bought the building that we're currently in about 11 years ago. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're, we are exactly as you described, Mark. We are a hidden gem. Um, for those of us who have... Um, visited us they more often than not we have a really high sort of return rate right where people come back again and again um and we're getting better and better i mean i think one of our greatest innovations over the 21 years has been the mobile museum we launched mobile in 2015 we're so proud of that we're only one of about uh i think three children's museums nationwide with a mobile program so you know, talk about STEM and you talk about um, innovation. That is completely not only what we offer to kids, but it's the ethos that runs deep through our organization. That's awesome. I need to understand more about that other experience that you have, a mobile museum. I only go to the real one uh, in Escondido, the hidden gem. But what is a mobile museum, if you will? So we have two mobile vans right now. They are fully kitted out with mobile exhibits. Um they what allows us to be a part of systemic change is that we bring early childhood stem education to children under the age of 10 countywide so mm. yes absolutely we're based in escondido but our reach and our tentacles uh, are pretty far reaching uh, we work very extensively with school districts with libraries county and city libraries um, and we also try and serve some of those um, forgotten communities, right? Like the refugee communities or um, uh, disenfranchised communities that may not easily be able to get to us on site, so to, to Escondido. Um, and we're really dedicated to serving low-income um, communities and low-income children who may not otherwise have um, exposure to STEM education. Um, and so our mobile museum is um, not only our greatest innovation to date, but that is uh, for this year, for the Children's Museum, a strategic imperative. So we're looking to grow those two mobile vans to three trucks, wow. hybrid trucks. So we'll then have five mobile units all over the county serving um, children uh, and teaching them all about, you know, early childhood STEM education. I need to know when the next mobile museum is going to happen. Tell me the X, Y coordinates, because that's another thing that I I need to experience it. Just truth be told. Um, I'm very impressed with with that initiative and that endeavor. Um, Well, I got, I guess I have to pay attention to the mailing list more whenever you guys do email blasts and things of that nature. So, there you go. That's a nice little tidbit I did not know. I, I was orienting all of my excitement towards the hidden gem that is in Escondido. I guess really the bigger bigger picture out of 21 years here is Escondido. It, it's not really seen as, you know, it's the top right corner of the county. Let's be honest. Um, how did the museum land there historically, if you could great showcase question. that? Yeah, great question. And it was almost... Um so Katie Stokes is our founder, and she, uh, her family based uh, out in Escondido. Ah. Um, she was the founder of the museum. 
I think when she opened it, she didn't um, anticipate that it was going to be as popular, maybe, I don't know, as as it is now. But it was really just a really small storefront mm-hmm. um, sort of organization that has grown um, and grown really significantly over the last 11 years in particular, particularly since we moved into our current building. Um, I will tell you that Escondido is also... I think one of those hidden gems of North County, right? Like people, I don't think realize how diverse it is. Um, I only oh, recently absolutely. found out. Yeah, I only recently found out. You know, it has a huge um, Spanish-speaking population that we love, and um, but talk about diversity. It actually has Buddhist temples, a Sikh temple. Um, they're building a Hindu temple there now. Uh, and it just seems to be attracting people of from all over the world in many ways and from all different types of cultures. And for us, that's fantastic because it's very much in line with who we are as an organization and the communities that we're looking to serve. You know what? You, you colored it in for Escondido. Um, I did not even know that many uh, cultural aspects existed. Um, just full disclosure, I... It, to me, it's always been just Catholic and Christian churches. So it's right. very, it's very good to know that that these other these other lenses and perspectives are coming in, and how your 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 group is trying to acknowledge that that is there and service that as well. Um, next question, if you will, I need to know Krishna's favorites. What would you say? Actually, I'll pull back on that. Let me pull back on that. Just That's the second question. The first question is, what would you say are your guaranteed offerings or strengths of the museum? Right. Great question. So um, I will tell you that um, I've been in my role for about a year and some change. Mm. Uh, my background is not in children's museums, nor is it nonprofit um, or, or even education, actually, which begs mm-hmm. the question of like, what am I doing here? Um, I have a background in um, strategy, so I was in for-profit consulting for over 20 years, uh, specifically brand, marketing, and innovation strategy. Um, And one of the things I'm so proud of is, um, well, there are three things I'd say. First of all, we just wrapped up our first ever strategic planning process, and we're in the thick of operationalizing it. We're really proud of that. The the big... um, I think aha from the strategic planning processes, our area of focus is on building foundational STEM fluencies for young children. These are really essential, fundamental fluencies that all children should have access to. Things like that we take for granted as adults, right? But these are these are have to be learned. These are right. not born with these fluencies. So things like symbolic language, spatial awareness. Uh, sequence and corresponding, learning how what the role of divergent versus convergent thinking. And of course, we don't use that language with the kids, but we provide um, an array of opportunities for them to learn about those concepts. Um, The second part of that is also social emotional learning, right? And if you've worked with any successful organization, you realize that the people who lead an organization are not oftentimes the smartest people in the room, but mm-hmm. they're definitely the most socially intelligent and the most emotionally intelligent people in the room. So this world that we live in that's highly engineered, those uh, SEL skills are critical to allowing and helping and empowering children to thrive. Um, and then the third part of that is also purposeful play, right? Children learn through play. 
and when you unpack play, play takes on different types of faces. So you have imaginative play, you have creative play, um, there's physical play, um, and play is more of a pathway towards learning, right? So those, if you imagine um, SEL, um, STEM foundational fluencies and purposeful play, if, as a sort of Venn diagram, in the intersection of those concentric circles is where we do our best, best work. Um, the other thing we're really proud of is our board of directors is phenomenal. Um, I was originally on the board of directors before I took this role. Um, we have a very, very active board. The board's tagline is lean in and lean in is what they do. Um, and we now have 12 board members um, and a couple of open seats too. So just putting mm. that out there for the tech people. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, yeah. if, if I'd like to definitely uh, explore what that is with you later down the road. But I guess what you, uh, shooting from the hip kind of question now that you've debriefed me in this style, with your, with your operations that you're currently doing, what you've just described in the last two minutes alone, has your group ever thought of being an alternate form of traditional education? And I don't mean it from just a museum exhibit kind of perspective. I'm going all in here and I'm saying a true alternative to essentially like a K through five, at least uh, age group to say, hey, I, I, we could have a private school or a public school. Or you get where I'm going with this, a real platform and facility to harness everything that you just described here outside of museum form. Um, to me, because to me, you know, I, I, I got, I guess you could say I'm trying to future proof my child and just basically my children, my child's friends and things of that nature, because in 10, 20 years, it's going to go by quick for me. And I'm going to see how, how that generation grew, especially during these porous times of 2020 and moving forward, um, and how that's impacted their state, which I, I, I really can't conclude what that is quite yet, but it's just something for you to think about. And, I, you know, wh- wh- where do you see yourself with my suggestion with that, having a K through five operation in real form, in long I mean, form, I, if you will? I absolutely love the idea, right? Unfortunately, I feel like there are a lot, you know, the Common Core curriculum is great. Like we follow the Common Core curriculum. Mm-hmm. So when we work with the schools, we make sure that all the programmatic uh, content is in alignment with mm-hmm. the Common Core curriculum. I think that the, just like pulling the lens back just a little bit, mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to find a lot of, particularly your audience of listeners who will disagree with the fact that traditional education is right for disruption, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that is um, at every level in many ways, like all the way from sort of K through to um, uni- like college level, right? Yes. Um, the, are we really um, building the skill sets for the students of various different ages for them to um, thrive in today's world is a big question, right? Um, and I don't think it's a slam dunk. Yes, honestly, like I'm a no, huge, yeah, I'm a huge Ken, Sir Ken Robinson fan. Mm-hmm. And if you ever listen to any of his podcasts, he'll tell you how um, he shares like how traditional schools are um, do not provide an opportunity for creativity do not provide an opportunity for curiosity right like mm-hmm. there we all know that children learn in different ways yes um, they're different types of learners i have a son who's dyslexic he's 12 you ask him to build anything he could build anything mm-hmm. 
he's a terrible reader and he's a terrible speller. But mm-hmm. like I say to him, you know, you got to jump through the hoops, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I wish that there were um, like high school options for him that were available that were so um, um, amenable and that leaned into what he was naturally good at. Um, And there are options out there. I think the world is slowly evolving, but it's not evolving fast enough, right? Um, And I think that the work that we do at the San Diego Children's Discovery Museum is really to, I mean, our mission statement is to spark the love of learning so that all children can discover their wildest dreams, right? It's it's not about, do you want to be a doctor? Do you want to be a dentist? It's more about learning. It's focused on what is your joy. Is If your joy is to walk into our space and build a time machine, um, come and do it. If your joy is to come into our space and, and learn more about what the janitorial staff at a hospital do, come and do it. I mean, we have a new exhibit in place, which is all about celebrating healthcare workers sponsored by Palomar, Palomar Health. And... Um, we very intentionally, in that exhibit design, celebrated all of the different healthcare professions, not just the doctors and the nurses. It's it's like the administrative staff too, um, because um, you know it's it's really that love of learning and that inquiry-based style of learning where kids are invited uh, to ask questions and they're invited to be curious uh, and experiment and explore. And to use your imagination. Well said. I think I, I do share, I'm probably not the only one on this, is traditional forms of education, K through 12 style, it's pretty antiquated these days. And with how information moves so quickly, it's now is the time to pivot. If it, it It's on us and the next generation to really acknowledge that, which is why, again, I'm I have to just drop this inquiry on you and I hope I planted a seed in your head for your resources to think about that in the long term because as I see it as a parent, you know, I don't see freeform expression or alternative ways to learn outside of kindergarten because once kindergarten is over, it's sort of like you're coerced into this very rigid style of learning that isn't applicable to every human being. Some some will get it scholastically, but some people are hands-on in, in many other uh, examples that you could probably throw out from your head. But I see that, you know, for me, I, for me specifically, and I'm sure for you, we, we, we experience that K through 12 type of, uh, of rigid curriculum. And then next step was go to college. Next step was go get your grad. Absolutely. That's not, that's not, that's not, you know, the, what's the, what's, what, what's the word I'm looking for here? You know, that's not the silver bullet for every, for everyone or, you know, the one size fits all answer. Um, and I see that because I know where I succeeded it when I do a retrospective with my, my learnings and I know where the gaps are and that's a personal story. Um, but all together, I see where you're coming from with that. And you know what, maybe this is encouraged for a part two down the line once your operations have vetted out throughout the year and you've made some successes because I'd really like to start thinking about that kind of stuff. Um, and this transcends beyond just STEAM, STEM-related uh, initiatives for young kids, but just the overall broad system that we currently have in place. Um, and yeah, I don't know how to unpack that or what, how to crack that code, but I am very much saying to you and to everyone out there listening that, hey, we've got some work to do in terms of education, period. We really do. I mean... Um 
you can come from any field of practice, right? If you are a tech person or an artist or a musician, um, mm-hmm. the foundational fluencies that we're sharing with the kids are applicable to all of the above, right? Symbolic language, that's music, right? Mm-hmm. Learning, teaching kids how to um, get better at those foundational fluencies is such an essential way, part of how they're learning. Um you know, looking over at the person next to you and saying, hey, do you want to help me do this? Like learning how to advocate for yourself. Like those are fundamental skills. And organizations like ours are responsible um, for um, making sure that kids have exposure to those, right? We're not just a sort of, hey, come in here and play, which is great. And, you know, for sure, there are aspects of the museum that invite play. But like we also have a captive audience where we have an opportunity to share something really valuable with them and something that is going to empower them, make them go home and ask even more questions and will make them want to cut the cardboard boxes up into like five different rock chip shapes, you know. So and then and, and we love that. Um, one of our new exhibits that we're actually exploring, I can't say that we've committed to the idea yet, but this is the sort of thing that um, I love so much and why I, I love my my organization is we're exploring the opportunity around um, uh, sharing with kids uh, something around biomimicry. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar with the world of biomimicry, it's where um, you can take uh, inspiration from the natural world, right, to help innovate and help create new ideas. So this um, stems like a a pretty wide uh, range of different industries from sort of, um, you know, chip manufacturers to medical device manufacturers to, um, you know, designers of commercial planes. Um, But there is a role for it also in... uh, with children, which is, um, if you can imagine, this is where the natural world, art and science collide, right? Yes. So what can we teach children about the way a caterpillar moves? What could they learn about that? How could they apply that to something else that they're building and thinking about? So, and I think it also teaches children to have a um, respect for the natural world, right? Um, So, watch the space. I'm super excited about it. I personally, coming from the world of innovation, get very excited about um, biomimicry, but it's also something that I would love to share with um, with the kids. Excellent. I'm going to need a link to the po- podcast that you're encouraging us to listen to and okay. a, a link or two about biomimicry because I've never heard those letters put together to form that <laughs> word in my life. So please, after this, this is over, um, please forward those my way. I would really appreciate that. Awesome. Um, okay. So, you know what, I got to get, I got to get a little bit of the COVID, the pandemic in there because you know what, it's really hit the state of the state of everyone in personal and professional ways. Let's be honest about that. And I'm sure the museum, uh, had its own set of challenges throughout the journey outside of just hey, shut down and things of that nature. So let's go beyond that because we know that happened um, for everyone. Uh, Let's talk about after the fact and get back to Family Space Night, November 2021. I I was really excited. The food truck was out there, the interactions, the night was young, the telescopes were out. I saw Jupiter with my own eye. I saw Mm -hmm. Saturn with my own eye. It turned me into a child again, you know? And I think I was more excited than any of the kids there. 
to be honest. I just, I went, I went super happy with it. Um, let's get back to there just real quickly. Not necessarily that specific event, um, but kind of. I have to ask, what were the challenges of putting an event like that together during COVID? Oh, you're already giggling. Look at that. I mean, like this time last year, we, where were we? January. Oh my goodness. If you, if I, if you could have been a fly on the wall mm-hmm. um, during our reopening conversations, yes. The, I swear to God, there is not a single permutation of what reopening could look like that we had not covered. I mean, imagine, you know, we have an audience that is not vaccinated yet, the really little kiddos, kiddos. Mm -hmm. Um, True. We have a museum that encourages touch, right? Um, So reopening had its, it was a beast and we got through it and it was all massive kudos to my team who were just like master innovators and they're just such dynamic people. Um, But yeah, you know, we are sensible, right? Like we are respectful of um, people's sense of safety. Um, We have a heightened sense of um, safety protocols uh, in place. We uh, clean everything regularly. We made sure that the concessions were um, not too close together. We made sure that the um, experiences were laid out so that we could... um, softly manage traffic between them and make sure that no, not too many people around, um, you know, each of the telescopes. And by the way, I also saw Saturn and Jupiter got completely, totally nerded out on the planets. Me Um, too. (laughs) It was awesome. You know, it's just like being, there's a a huge amount of, um, um, diligence and quite frankly common sense and just being really respectful of the kids and the parents uh, but it's really interesting what you say about adults getting excited about being in our space right um, and invoking um, that childlike spirit in adults I mean I ask each and every one of you when was the last time you felt like a kid like when was the last time you really felt like, wow, you know, that childlike wonder of when you learn something, when you're at the zone, what we call the zone of proximal development, also called the learning aid, the learning edge, where you experience something and thought, wow, that's so cool. I had no idea. Now, for me, it was the day I saw Jupiter and Saturn and, you know, kind of felt like a kid. So likewise, yeah, Likewise, so yes. Feel, you know, trying to encourage parents when they do come and visit us, right? Those are very special moments where not only do your children get to learn, but you get to learn yourself and you get to learn with your kids. Parents have a fantastic everyday opportunity to be mentors to their children. And that doesn't mean sort of let me tell you how this works. I think right. rather than that, it's like, what do you think? I think asking questions is oftentimes the best way to be a mentor when um, you're saying something magnificent to your to your to your kid, or even something not so magnificent to your kid, right? Um, oh, I totally agree. As a parent, you know, I think I look at it from a similar perspective as you described, but I word it in this way: that being a parent you are the first teacher. It's not when you go to drop off and then drop them off to the classroom. That's the second teacher, maybe the third. Depends on the distance of other learnings that happens in between travel. 
but every parent is a teacher in one way, shape, or form. And for me, I, I don't play the role of knowing everything because I don't. I very much ask a ton of questions. And when my, my child asks the loaded question, I'm very truthful. Hey, I really don't know that. Let's research that together kind of mentality. But it goes back to your point where, especially when I saw Jupiter and Saturn that night at your event, um, it was really a great positive domino effect for, for me and my child because I, I was equally enthusiastic, again, if not more, and I was encouraging more and more ex- exploration, if you will, and curiosity. And actually, we probably left the building with more question marks than periods because we, had, we were just so curious, like, what's, what's next? How did, I, how did this rocket move? How did, how did all this happen with lift and things of that nature? Um, but yeah, I definitely see where you're coming from with that. Um, and I encourage every parent out there to really empower themselves to be that first teacher. Whatever variant you are, um, it, it counts, you know. Um, it really does. Yeah. Um, mentorship is a really significant part of interacting with our space, right? Um, we all have our phones, my God. Like, you know, mm-hmm. and we lose ourselves in our phones and we lose magical opportunities to interact with our kids. And, you know, um, and I think... Uh, we're all really exhausted too by this, <laughs> by the pandemic. So, you know, I get it. Like I, trust me, I get it. I have two teenage kids. I really get it. Um, mm-hmm. but like really consciously and intentionally putting on your sort of mentorship hat, right. When you walk into spaces like Oz, like those are really special moments. And you know what you said, Mark, at the beginning is that time flies, man. Like you don't, not going to get these days back again you know mm-hmm. and it's when they're like 18 they're going to say do you remember that time dad that we went to the thing and you showed me the thing like that's real yeah and that's what i'm like forecasting like you know heaven forbid you know i hope i not to get hit by the metaphorical bus inside of 20 years i'd like to see what this looks like 20 years from now to see how i've fostered growth for my child um in whatever way shape or form whether it be more questions than answers uh throughout that journey so be it but that's the way it is and I definitely, I, 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 I guess selfishly, I, I use your museum as a, as a partial platform for me to do that. Um, and I'm very much thankful for it. I got another loaded question for you. Two more loaded questions for you in relation to Family Space Night. Um, and I guess this is the broad brush loaded question. What types of resources do you look out for on behalf of children's education and or fulfillment? Oh, gosh, we're constantly looking for resources. I can give you two examples. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things organizations like ours have learned over the last year and a bit, two years almost, is partnership is your friend, right? Okay. Like partnering with organizations serves everybody. We're in the nonprofit space, right? We're not competing for the same profit dollar. So when we can partner and bring um, expertise, insight, inspiration to our experiences we are always looking to do that um small example i came across a really cool platform called inner explorer earlier um this week and it's a mindfulness platform and it is really cool they're a non-profit too um and they have everything from like one minute to eight minute um audio experiences for children of various different ages um and everything from just like breathing to like be mindful of your nose and be mindful of your ears and like can you take a minute to like really like feel like feel into your butt like just 
cool stuff like that where, you know, with all that's going on in the world right now, what is a minute or two for like a four year old? You know, that's that's special, like for them to slow down and pay attention. Um, and again, like they're, you know, they're an online platform and we're exploring ways in which like if we were to run camp with children, how could we integrate that platform into the beginning of camp for just a couple of minutes? Um, another example is, um, you know, we're always looking at bringing in new, fresh thinking. Um, and I think that's partly because I come from an innovation background and I'm always, you know, inspiration comes from the most unexpected places oftentimes. And we have someone who we're working with who is a design thinking expert, um, has an architecture background. He works for a biotech company and product design. Um, and really like no curatorial or like exhibition design per se experiences, but he does bring a design thinking. And my background is also heavily leans towards design thinking. So when we think about designing experiences for kids, like what's the storytelling part of that? What's the emotional journey that they're going to experience? How can we infuse that into the design of the experience? So we're always looking for um, bright spark thinking, right? Um, that will speak to our kids and to the experiences they interact with. Nice. And I guess the last loaded question, and I don't know if there's a true measuring stick, but I have to ask it either way. How do you know if an event is successful for the children? Yeah, great question. My gosh. Um, well, first of all, um, <laughs> our everyday, uh, we have something called the squealometer uh, or the screamometer. I'm, I'm yeah, sorry, what? The squealometer. So um, okay. it's like when they squeal, it's good, right? Um, it's like that, that, that. Um, oh, the decibel levels. Like you, the, the higher decibel the decibel level, the more positive the feedback. Got it. Yeah. I mean, I think last week it was maybe a Friday and we um, had one of the last families leaving our space. And this kid was just like screaming to not have to leave, right? Just did not want to leave our space. I mean, that's our kind of really... Um, you know, off the cuff, um, measure of like, are you having a good time here? Oh, you really don't want to leave. Um, other than that, it's engagement, right? Like it's just okay. watching wonder, um, of the very hot, easy metrics. So like the number of people that come to our events, like that is, you know, given the climate in which we're in, we sell out, we're selling out really fast, which is amazing. Um, but also, um, I think that just the, the slightly more um, future gazing answer to your question is as we get better and better at, at building in foundational fluencies into our experiences, we're having much more of a conversation internally about how can we measure that? And it's very difficult, right? Uh, you're talking about measuring whether a three-year-old is getting better at with symbolic language over time. And that's really hard to do in our environment, in our environment, because we're not a school. So who's to say that we're going to see that kid again? So it's just yeah. like from a research perspective, it's hard to measure that. Um, but there are ways of doing it, um, albeit even in a really crude way, right? Like how can we um, observe where the kids are watching the person, the kid next to them? Are they learning from watching the other kid next to them? So. Our educators and our, um, our VSA, our visitor service associates, are always um, observing how children are interacting with our exhibits. And we're definitely getting better and better at trying to measure um, the impact of, uh, of, of what we offer. Got it. 
It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. Um, yeah, you got me. You've got me speechless for about a few seconds right there because that's a lot of homework for your staff, for you and your staff. Um, but I will be encouraging you along the way, and my membership is in full, so rest okay. assured that I'll continue to support. Uh, before we bow out gracefully from this one, I just need a few call to actions to the audience. Uh, San Diego Tech Hub and beyond for anyone that stumbles onto allwebsd.com. What future events should we be aware of in relation to STEM, STEAM curriculum, or anything? Multi- I know you do multicultural aspects as well. International flags are well well uh, across the board on, on the rooftops and things of that nature. Um, what, what events uh, can you showcase or tease out at this moment of time? Anything? Just, yeah, just in terms of events, we have Nature Night. It's our first time we're ever celebrating um, the planet, um, you know, all things um, green, how kids can be empowered as, um, you know, eco-warriors to make a difference in their own world and how more about sustainable living um, so that's super exciting. That will be in April. So, um, watch out for that. Follow us on all of our social media. We have, we're SDCDM320 on Instagram, San Diego Children's Discovery Museum on Facebook. Um, and you can see our website too. The call to action I will, I will say to your audience is twofold. First of all, um, we're a nonprofit, right? Um, we lost, um, basically all of our earned revenue, um, during the pandemic and, um, relied exclusively on contributions while we were closed. Um, and even though we, our doors were closed, we, um, served just under a million people digitally through digital platforms. So our reach was so broad, um, even though our doors were closed, uh, and we did it all on a shoestring. So any and all contributions to our cause are more, are always welcome Um, We're also really looking for corporate sponsorship, right? Um, Opportunities to be sponsored by uh, corporations. We have um, certain San Diego-based tech, uh, biotech companies who we're talking to, um, you know, the future generation of any type of person who works in STEM starts under, you know, with us, really, like where we can spark that... um, joy of learning, um, fascination with science. Um, we do work with, for example, with ASML, we do career panels, um, with schools, right. Inspiring. We invite their engineers and their scientists to come and talk to the kids in schools. And we facilitate those conversations. And it's it's important for kids from, um, every part of the community to realize that, they look like scientists also, and scientists look like them. Um, so, Consider, um, well, first of all, coming to visit visit us, um, consider contributing to our cause, um, consider also maybe sponsoring us or um, sponsoring um, an exhibit. Um, The biomimicry, if we really do lean into that, which I hope we will, we still don't have any sponsors for an exhibit like that. I have no idea. (laughs) I'd have to start looking um, to see who would be interested in in something like that. So, um, yeah, just um, financial contribution, um, and then just also sharing, sharing the word about the fact that we exist. We're the only um, children's museum that um, focuses on foundational fluencies for children as young as are the ones that we see. Certainly through immersive learning, um, and certainly combined with social emotional learning. 
You knocked it out of the ballpark with my follow-up questions. Best way to follow you on the latest and greatest, how to get a membership and or support. You, Great. You, those were grand slams. That wasn't even a, a base <laughs> hit. Um, and I'm definitely going to have to probably replay the last five minutes for my own personal time because there are a lot more ways to support here from an individual and from a company-wide perspective. So please, anyone that's listening that's just stumbled onto the audio when this gets published, please replay the last five minutes alone. That's very, very important. But one other thing that I, I actually wanted to bring up in terms of a weight and a call to action to do this is, is this. So I go to a lot of museums. Balboa Park is right there. Downtown is right there, so on and so forth. And I went to the big new children's museum in downtown San Diego. I think we all know what that one is. We're three stories high, big concrete building off off of Island Avenue, I believe, uh, and the convention center. Um, my question is, when I went there to purchase my ticket, a little birdie told me that some of the museums offer each other member discounts for being members. Is that true? Between the two organizations, you mean? Or just like separately? Just members just discounts? in general, in general member discounts. So I, st- I went and did my thing. I paid, I paid a, a discounted price, actually, because they said, hey, you're a member of the children's, the San Diego Children's Discovery Museum. Well, that gets you a little bit of an in um, versus paying full price. And I was wondering, does that kind of ecosystem or crossover exist between uh, all of the exhibits museums here in San, excuse me, in San Diego County? And if so, what are they? So I can actively participate. So there is such a thing called Museum Week, right, Um, where there are discounts for museums. Um, We don't really offer um, cross-museum sort of discounts. Um, uh, We do offer discounts to, um, you know, low-income families who present with an EBT, um, WIC, SNAP card. Um, We also uh, provide discounts to military families, too so that's um great we have special weekend um hours for our sensory members med sensory families um so i think that um you know compared to a lot of the um grander experiences that exist in um california we're pretty reasonably priced honestly oh absolutely um, i agree yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah for the amount so, of the amount of the amount of everything that you get yes i i totally agree um it's fun it's fun to follow follow your group on newsletters and the social media out there because it's just it's always something i I don't have a better way to describe it except to say that it's always something and that's good to know that it's out there yeah Um, and there's also um what's it called i think it's called passport san diego right like where you have like the booklet that um people have and they have all kinds of yes information about uh, the attractions and the experiences in the area and that you know we're in there too got it well okay those are good ways you know from my personal experience it was pretty much about this the customer service agent said okay here's your price are you a member of any other museums and we said yes we are san diego children's discovery museum and they said okay well you get in like a dollar or two off i'm like okay that's great Great. that's great thanks (laughs) so okay again i guess anyone out there listening again invest the invest especially in the last five to seven minutes alone on this audio to really play back play that back for yourself um but really thank you krishna thank you so much this was great um i'm really excited that you had the chance here to 
talked a little old me, um, and I got to demonstrate this <laughs> that the importance of all this to to the broader San Diego audience, especially in the San Diego Tech Hub community, and any any parents out there that have young children. You know, it's out there. This is the speakeasy that I'm actually I'm I'm a whistle I'm blowing the whistle on this one and uh, and revealing its curtain. It's no longer a speakeasy because I hope you get more people down your way and it becomes mainstream enough. Uh, yeah, no, that's really great, really great. So, Mark, I'm going to ask you a question. Uh oh, yeah, um, go for it. If I may, um, yeah. uh, what? When do you remember? At what age? Um, kind of doing whether it was a science fair or a science experiment or blowing rockets up in your back garden, your parents' back garden. I don't know. Um, do you remember your first ever? Um, amazement, wonder, awe at something science that you did? Yes, it was actually I have multiple and it probably was in the age range of third and fourth grade in particular. The first one was in third grade where I actually saw a real time demonstration of a solar powered vehicle, a solar powered car. Um, and uh, you have to think I'm going to date myself, people. Uh, it was in the it was in the 90s, the early 90s. I was in third grade, and the design of solar powered vehicles were not that savvy, uh, unlike what you're seeing in, in today's modern day world. But it had a car body, it had multiple solar panels, and it was whizzing through the playground at a safe speed. To be clear, no child was in danger that day. Um, but it was it was just a remarkable feat. Um, it, it 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 was a single passenger solar powered vehicle um no no am fm radio no, no gps none of that stuff um it's set one person and just you could see the entire the battery section if you will and the, so that was the first form of inspiration the second was in fourth grade i believe i think it was one of the science fairs that we had to do you know the, that one of those classic approaches um and i think it was an i had to describe magnets and I think I was I was so oriented around really high powered magnets that were offered to me about you know uh, north uh, north uh, north and south ma- magnetic fields and how how the same fields kind of like reject each other and I couldn't eloquently explain it at the time I could only really showcase it with my hands like hey they're not smushing together watch when you put S and S together and N and N together they don't but if you put N and S together pop they snap right then and there. Um, those were really moments of awe in my childhood that I could, I could guarantee. And science yeah. fiction as well is um, just carries over. I'm a, I'm a Trekkie more than a Star Wars fan. Sorry to offend anyone out there, but I'm more of a Trekkie. So, Star Trek: The Next Generation was also a high level of influence. Um, yeah. So yeah, kind of dovetails to Lavar Burton and reading Rainbow when he did a. Uh, did some episode on Star Trek The Next Generation and did special effects, if you will, with how beaming was actually glitter and water um, and things of that nature. Cinematography, that was like mind-blowing. That actually showcased cinematography to me for the first time. I thought it was... I didn't know how it was done, and when I saw how it was done in in a studio setting, I was mind-blown yet again. So it was was alternate forms of learning, alternate forms of information outside of the K-12 ecosystem and the textbook. So, yeah. yeah, those were the moments of time. And I guess that's the thing is like building your that was you building your STEM identity, you know. Yeah, 
from Absolutely. a really, really young age. I was watching Phantom Menace. Sorry, I'm going to go the other way just to... Uh-oh, uh, we're going to have an <laughs> argument here. Uh, with my son yesterday, and, you know, just, and I've seen it a gazillion times, but it just, I'm always amazed by how ahead of the times they were. I mean, just blown away, you know. Um, so, yeah, again, you know, um, STEM identity, it's real. You know, you know, and it starts from when they're really, really young. It starts from when they're really, really young, but it doesn't end there. Um, me being where I'm at in my modern day world and my modern day age, it doesn't have to stop. There are many other forms of expression and ways to execute and drive with it. Um, so I encourage even all the adults to, to, to not let that go. And I look at myself in the mirror every day to not let that go too. Um, but Krishna, we definitely will have a follow-up on this one because there's more to come, obviously, and I will be going to as many events as I can as a member and having my daughter have fun along the way. And yeah, again, I sound kind of like a broken record, but I feel like the last seven minutes alone of this conversation is very important. So please play that back, people. Um, And we'll get some links uh, moving forward after this is complete. So on that note, AllWebSD, this episode is technically done. Thank you all for listening. Krishna, thank you very much for carving out some time out of your very busy schedule. And we will see you on the microphone, hear you on the microphone, excuse me, on the next round. Yes? Yes. A pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks again for listening in. Remember, I'm here to foster innovation through conversation. So if you'd like to continue this discussion or any topics previously discussed, join me at San Diego Tech Hub and go headfirst into the All Web SD group. It's totally free. Just visit this link or click San Diego Tech Hub on the footer of allwebsd.com. Thanks and aloha.